Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Kat showed me a Facebook memory that came up on her timeline reminding her of a time, I guess it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. I bought her an orchid. Uh, because she was uh, victorious in a sidewalk chalk art contest. That's right. I won. There were only three contestants. <laughs> <laughs> and so I went to the store later that day and they had orchids on sale. So I thought it's the 10 year anniversary of her chalk art win. I'll get her another orchid. It was so sweet. He came home and he looked so pleased and it was beautiful. So immediately, you know, it got a place, uh-huh. a position of honor and, uh, and I love it. But the next day we went to the grocery store again and apparently they weren't just on sale. They were buy one, get one. Mm. And uh, Kat said, where's my other orchid? Did you give it to your whore? He claims that they weren't buy one, get one at the time that he bought mine, but uh, They may have been. I didn't notice. I just saw they were on sale. (laughs) But I find it really interesting that that's where your mind goes. No, he didn't read the sign wrong. He's got something on the side. (laughs) This is why we do therapy. I don't know when you would have time to cheat on me, though. Honestly, we spend every moment together. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So I wanted to talk a little bit about rogue waves according to wikipedia are also known as freak waves monster waves episodic waves killer waves extreme waves abnormal waves it's an unusually large unpredictable and suddenly appearing surface wave that can be extremely dangerous to ships even large ones Ooh, I don't like. I don't think I like the sound of this. Especially since we're going on a, on a cruise in the next few months. Mm. Uh, for many years, they were thought to be just folklore, tales that early sailors told when they returned to port. In 1826, a French scientist and naval officer reported seeing waves as high as a hundred feet in the Indian Ocean. He had three witnesses that were with him that vouched for his story. Yet he was publicly ridiculed for his claims. Really? Yeah. See, that's the thing. That bugs the crap out of me because 
it's like someone says, well, I haven't seen anything like that. Therefore, it can't exist. <laughs> it's just silly. Now, in that era, it was widely believed that no wave could exceed nine meters or 30 feet. For some reason, that's, that's what... The, that's yep. just the max. That's, that's it. That's the apex. Science says 30 feet and no higher. That's it. One of the main reasons that people did not believe that rogue waves were real is because there were very few people that actually saw one and survived to tell people about it. Oh. That is until the advent of steel double-hulled ships in the uh, early 20th century. In fact, it wasn't until 1995 that the New Year's wave became the first rogue wave to be detected by measuring instruments. It was recorded at Unit E of a gas pipeline platform. In fact, it was a, a pipeline support complex located in the North Sea about 100 miles or 160 kilometers southwest of the southern tip of Norway. The rig was built to withstand what they called a 1 in 10,000 years wave. With a predicted height of 20 meters or 64 feet, it was fitted with state-of-the-art sensors. This makes me so uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. At 3 p.m. on New Year's Day, 1995, a rogue wave was recorded with a maximum height of 25.6 meters or 84 feet. Peak elevation above the still water on the platform was 61 feet. The reading was reconfirmed by other sensors, and even though the platform was engineered to withstand a 64-foot wave or a 1 in 10,000-year wave, this wave was 84 feet, and yet the platform only sustained minor damage. Oh, wow. But these rogue waves can be deadly, and they're certainly serious. Is there any way to track where they're going to happen? They seem to appear out of nowhere. It's different than a tsunami. But a, why? A tsunami, a tsunami comes from displaced water that is... Sure, like an earthquake. Like an earthquake or a sinkhole or mm -hmm. something like that. Really not sure what, what causes rogue waves. They just can appear for no apparent reason. I hate this. One of the most interesting incidents involved a rogue wave. Uh, it took place in 1997. The Tokyo Express was a large shipping container, freight ship. You know, the kind you see at major ports that have like the shipping containers stacked ridiculously high on, sure. the, on the decks. Yeah. It was on its way from the Netherlands to New York City. That's when a rogue wave, or as the captain of the Tokyo Express described it, a 100-year phenomenon hit the ship 60 degrees in one direction and then 40 degrees in the opposite direction. The rogue wave pummeled this ship. It smashed against its side and it caused 62 of these giant shipping containers to plummet into the sea. Oof. Now the precious cargo that was inside these shipping containers were Legos. Oh. Not just a few Legos, but about 5 million pieces of Legos ended up in the ocean. Uh, this incident is known as the Great Lego Spill. <laughs> now, oddly enough, this is a bizarre coincidence. The pieces, the majority of the pieces were water-themed. Oh. They were intended for, I think, the Aqua Raiders or Pirates or Divers action playsets. And the shipping log shows that there were about 415,000 flippers, 
in blue and black and red, 9,000 cutlasses, 50,000 little plastic Lego sharks, 26,000 life preservers, and 13,000 spear guns in both yellow and red. I don't understand why there would be Lego spear guns. What are you spearing? Little Lego fish. Not cool. But not all of the Legos were released from the cargo containers when they hit the water. But considering how lightweight Lego pieces are, Mm -hmm. they've estimated that well over 3 million of those pieces have been set adrift. And it wasn't long before they started showing up on the shoreline, the coast of uh, Cornwall, England. So there's just a shit ton of Legos washing up on the shore? Oh, God. Tracy Williams grew up in uh, South Devon, England, and now lives in Cornwall. And as a child, she was frequent a frequent beachgoer. She still is. And she began collecting these little Lego pieces that she found as a child. And her hobby has continued to this day because even though the great Lego spill happened 25 years ago, Lego pieces are still washing up on the coastline around Cornwall. Oh, God, that's terrible. And her hobby has inspired a book. In fact, she wrote Adrift, the curious tale of the Lego Lost at Sea. She also started the Lego Lost at Sea Facebook group. And uh, here she's been able to track Lego sightings from around the globe because it's not just Cornwall experiencing Lego wash-ups still today. In fact, the BBC put together a map of confirmed Lego sightings in the UK, most of which center around the southern peninsula of Cornwall. But on all coasts, there have also been lots of Legos found on the beach in Devon, also Brighton. Legos have washed up in Wales, also Waterville Beach in Ireland, and along the coast of the Netherlands. But it's not just Europe that Legos are still washing up on shore. 25 years after the spill, a huge amount of them washed up at Galveston, Texas. Oh my gosh. And they've even been found all the way on the other side of the world in Melbourne, Australia. That's a really interesting way to track water patterns and... Ocean flow. Flow. What's that word though? That word that I can't think of right now. Like the Gulf Stream. Like the tidal waves, the... Stream. Yep, those things. So they're still finding them 25 years later all over the world, and we're likely to be finding them for many more. It's been estimated that it will probably take centuries to degrade the plastic. And even so, when that happens, it releases toxins into the water. But there are also those who think it might take even longer. Scientists just finished analyzing the structure of some of these weathered beach Legos. They used X-ray fluorescence. And they found that it could take up to 1,300 years for the Legos from the 1997 spill to degrade entirely. Wow. This was reported in the journal Evolutionary Pollution just this month, July 2022. As it stands now, over 14 million tons of plastic end up in the ocean every single year. And all of the plastic has led to microplastics making their way into seafood and drinking water. And even beverages like beer, according to the WWF, human beings ingest up to five grams of plastic a week. Wow. I didn't realize that. No, that's terrible. I stumbled across these heartbreaking statistics while researching this this topic. William said, but she has been contacted by some divers who think that they should go down and try to locate the last of the containers 
because they're still popping up. They're still releasing them. She said one man contacted her to say he could put a team together to attempt this. Another wants to create a a theater piece based on the whole story. She said, it's great that all of this interest raises awareness for the whole issue of marine debris in the ocean, especially when it's among children. So back to the Legos, Tim Brooks, he's the vice president of environmental responsibility at the Lego group. Apparently, this was a division that was created in the, if you'll pardon the expression, wake of the great Lego spill. He was quoted in an interview as saying, quote, I'd love to go back 25 years and not let anything get into the ocean. He said, since that accident, they've made monumental efforts in the role of Legos in environmental and sustainability issues. In 2017, he was able to accomplish the Lego group's goal of using 100% renewable energy uh, three years earlier than they had hoped to. And in 2021, Brooks, along with the Lego group, unveiled a prototype Lego brick that's been made from recycled plastic. The current goal is to eliminate single-use plastic in all Lego sets by 2025. That's great. This is a good example of something good that came out of something that was environmentally pretty horrific. So, yay Legos. Yay Legos. And there's a whole subculture of people collecting these beach Legos and trading them online. Oh, wow. That's fun. (laughs) My source material, the BBC, Live Science, Ripley's Believe It or Not, and Wikipedia. Gosh, between the uh, rogue waves and learning about the Puerto Rico Trench... Our uh, <laughs> our transatlantic cruise is sounding less and less appealing. <laughs> now, how deep is the tra- uh, the uh, Puerto Rican trench? Um, I don't remember exactly, but I can look it up. Because I know it's like miles deep. Seven. Does that sound right? The deepest part of the Puerto Rico trench is just over 5.3 miles. Good Lord. <laughs> that makes my butthole clench. <laughs> the Box of Oddities. With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the Aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer this message is sponsored by green light you know as your kids get older there are some things about parenting that gets easier i remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece if you put your pants on i'll give you some fresca and when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right it's a lot easier to manage them 
Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com oddities. That's greenlight.com oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com oddities. And now, that thing in the middle. After Japan's surrender, trials would begin shortly after the end of World War II. The Prime Minister of Japan, Tojo Hideki, would stand before the military tribunal to face judgment. But prior to the trial, he asked that his teeth be fixed so he could speak on his own behalf. So a dental prosthetics officer for the Navy, who was stationed in Japan, was dispatched. They crafted a set of upper dentures but the technician thought he'd make some custom alterations to the teeth. He thought he'd drill Remember Pearl Harbor on the inside of the teeth, but knew that if he got caught, it meant instant court-martial. So he did it in Morse code, literally putting words in Tojo Hideki's mouth. We got a message from Riley. Oh my God, I had my first boo effect. I've been telling my husband about the episode where Jethro talks about the largest living organism being a mushroom. And he was like, Jethro doesn't know what he's talking about. (laughs) And I was all like, he cites his sources. So, and guess what fun fact I see on the side of a U-Haul truck on my way home today. (laughs) The largest organism in the world is a mushroom. That's the universe speaking to you. It's giving you a message to tell your husband to shut the hell up. Jethro's right. (laughs) Ashley sent us an email curator at the box of oddities.com listening to box 87 on Spotify while I work. And I heard reference to the last unicorn and that cat cries when she hears the music. And I screamed. I've been a fan of that movie since I was a little girl. I'm 32 now. And I always cried at the end when Prince Lear says his line about, That's what heroes are for. And then I cry when they can't be together. I've even read the book multiple times. My mom got the DVD for me a couple of years ago. And another woman by her asked where she found it since that was her favorite childhood movie. And my mom was shocked that someone else knew what it was since it just seemed so obscure (laughs) and not exactly made for kids. Haha, cheers to someone else that cries about a unicorn love story. Thank you. Christy shared a story with us. Funny story. Long story short, long. 
Wait, <laughs> what? Last night, we pick up a pretty little lady, and she's referring to uh, a goat. A goat. Her buddy unfortunately passed away after a series of bad decisions. Her family wanted her to go where she would have goat friends and be well-loved, so we got the call. I always try to keep animals' names when we get them or rescue them to make sure that the transition is as easy as possible. Of course. I was told that her name is Katrina. (laughs) I thought, oh boy, I'll forget that. So as soon as we headed home, I kept repeating, Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. After a minute, I thought, Katrina Walls. I couldn't place the name, but I thought whoever she is, I knew I liked her. (laughs) When we got home and I put her with the other goats, I said, welcome home, sweet Katrina Walls. I hope you like it here. Still not placing the name. As soon as I walked down the hall at work, it was still bugging me. A friend Googled it after I told her about it. She gave me a weird look and said, Katrina Walls is a podcast person. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I'm jealous. I want a goat named after me. Yeah. So um, she sent pictures of Katrina Walls Morris, the goat. I love her. And Dwayne, one of our supporters on Patreon, wrote, Las Vegas is my adopted hometown and we are loving the discoveries at Lake Mead. Not the lack of water, though. No, of course. We're joking at work about putting together a betting pool on how many bodies will eventually be found. Well, they just found another one today. Yeah. Like... uh, I saw the news story like two hours ago. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. Thanks, Dwayne. We appreciate you being a member of the Order of Freaks and supporting the Box of Oddities on Patreon, which you can do too, my friend. Ad-free episodes, Zoom calls with us. Bonus episodes. Lots of stuff. Go to theboxofoddities.com to find out more. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industry shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is so fresh out of the oven, we had to use audio oven mitts to upload it. And did you notice they go with my apron? This is the Box of Oddities. Fun fact. On the Marquesas Islands in French Polynesia, they have a wedding tradition that's called the human rug. (laughs) At the end of the wedding ceremony, all of the bride's relatives lie face down on the ground (laughs) in a line 
and the bride and groom walk over them as if they were a rug beneath their feet. Interesting. Yeah, it's something about how the family will be there to to help carry you along in life. I see. Yeah. It's no stranger than throwing rice. That's right. Why? And please don't. It hurts birds. <laughs> Instead of rice at our wedding, I wanted people to throw Big Macs. Because I like Big Macs. That's actually what you had for dinner on the night yeah, of our it, wedding. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Of course, we're vegetarian. So whenever we go to McDonald's, it's like, yeah, can I have a Big Mac with no meat? And there'll be this long pause. Yep. They hate us. Mm. Anyway, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Don't give birds rice. Well, I got to thinking, like, what are some other interesting wedding traditions that maybe I'm not familiar with? And there are a plenty. So this is part one of weird <laughs> or unusual. I shouldn't say weird. That's uh, rude. But unusual wedding traditions that maybe you, you've you not heard of. In India, in certain parts of India, women who are born under the Mangal Dosha, which is an astrological combination when Mars and Saturn are both under the seventh house, those women are called Mangaliks. And apparently they are cursed. And it's thought that their husbands will die early oh or, or die an early death. So in order to counter this, women born in this time have to be first married to a tree. A tree? Any any type of tree? Yeah, usually it'll be a peepal or a banana tree. <laughs> Sometimes it's actually an idol of the god Vishnu. But if it's a tree, then after they're married to the tree, the tree is cut down and it supposedly breaks the curse. I see. So that's something. And a little less dirty than in Scotland, uh, where they have a tradition called the blackening. This sounds terrible. So brides and grooms-to-be are subjected to a ritual known as blackening. And usually it takes place the day before a wedding. Now, I think about the things that I was doing in the days leading up to my wedding, and it was all stuff to make sure that I looked as good as possible. Of course. Getting my nails done, getting a facial, pedicure, all that business. But in this particular culture, the bride and groom's friends uh, take them, tie them to a tree and cover them in a mixture of curdled milk, (laughs) dead fish, spoiled food, sometimes treacle, feathers, soot or flour. And then they parade them through the streets covered in this filth. It's it's not worth it, really. (laughs) According to the University of Highlands and Islands in Inverness, the tradition is carried out to ward off evil spirits. And it's thought that if the couple can withstand this kind of treatment, they can handle anything that comes their way during their marriage. Though I have to say that being covered in flour is a lot different than finding out your spouse has bad spending habits. That's that's true. That's yeah. that's very true. What a juxtaposition of imagery, though, when you think of that, you know, future brides going through that. Mm. And then think of some of those entitled asses that were on that show, Bridezillas. Ah, I love Bridezillas. I want both limos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there's only you and me. Yeah, but I want both. It's $26,000. I want both. And I want to come in in a helicopter. I would like to take one of them and cover them with rancid fish and spoiled milk. Are you okay? Fine. 
This sounds terrible, but not quite as painful, maybe, as what happens to some grooms in Korea. On the day of the wedding, guests tie the groom's feet together and take turns beating his feet with sticks or dried fish. Does he get to choose? No. Because I'd go with the dried fish. You would? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What? But why? Well, I think sticks would hurt more, don't you? I don't know. How dried is the fish? Mm. And maybe the dried fish is also spiky. Oh, you know how I didn't think it gets about that. kind of like like a puffer fish. <laughs> I wasn't thinking specifically of a puffer fish, but <laughs> maybe they could compromise, and we'll beat you on the foot with a stick. Or we'll put a puffer fish in your sketchers and you have to walk around on it. I don't I don't think that you have the options. Damn it. Also keep in mind that while you're being beaten on the feet with dried fish or sticks, the groom is quizzed and questioned uh, about his character and how he plans on treating his <laughs> wife. I guess it's supposed to be like a test of the strength and character of the the groom, but it's supposed to be kind of a lighthearted thing. I you know, see. They don't take it too seriously seriously and it's over pretty quickly so that's that's nice especially if they're using dried fish i wouldn't imagine that Mm, smells great yeah (laughs) i can't imagine that going on for a period of days that would be awful moving along to germany now you've heard of the tradition of smashing plates at a wedding ceremony yeah well this is generally done the day before or within the week before a wedding guests in some traditional German weddings will bring the happy couple any type of porcelain, not glass, and smash them either in their kitchen or in their front yard. Hmm. The couple then has to clean up the mess together. (laughs) Uh, Again, it being like uh, everything in your life won't be easy, but working together, you can overcome challenges, that kind of thing. Um, Also thought to ward off evil spirits, which I wonder how much of this stuff really is warding off evil spirits and how much is just like, why do they do that? I don't know. It must be to ward off evil spirits. Like when we talk about looking back on things from the distant future and we always assume that we'd think must have been a religious thing. Yeah, exactly. Because we have no better explanation for it. Right. Yeah. When probably the real motive was people, your friends just want to fuck with you. Sometimes that's just that's the bottom line. In China or certain parts of China, I should say, you might see the bride getting shot. What? In China's Yugar culture, grooms shoot their future brides with a bow and arrow. Now, they keep the the arrows without an arrowhead. So, you know, they're not shooting them, shooting them. They're just jamming them with sticks, I guess. Yeah, but that could be... Unless it's a Nerf gun, I don't think they should be aiming it at anybody. Yeah, um, I guess this is uh, the idea is that once the bride has been shot with those arrows, then the groom breaks them to ensure that the couple stays in love forever. Uh-huh. I don't I don't know how that those things are connected. Maybe it has something to do with some sort of weird Cupid situation. Unclear. So after they shoot them with an arrow, do mm-hmm. they tie them to the hood of their Dodge? And then drive them into the weighing station. It's a hunting joke for those of you who don't live in rural areas. Okay. Also in China, uh, brides of the Tihua people start their celebration, question mark, a month before the upcoming nuptials. The bride will cry for an hour Hmm. each day. 
10 days into that ritual, the bride is joined by her mother and her mother and she will cry for an hour a day. And then after that, the grandmother will join in and the weeping trio will cry. And then if any other female members of the family want to join in on the cacophony of crying, Uh, they're welcome to. That must be a lot of fun for the males of that family. It sounds great. Mm. It's actually thought to be an expression of joy uh, as the women cry in different tones. So it's it might be kind of like a, a weird crying song, question know. mark. And it's said to date back to a, a time when the mother of a Zhao princess broke down in tears at her wedding. I see. Um, so I guess, yeah. In France... Newlyweds were forced to drink leftovers from their wedding out of a toilet bowl. What? And what? After- wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Did they get to, to at least buy a new toilet bowl or? Um, I don't know about the traditional. Uh, find, find one on somebody's lawn that it. they planted geraniums in. I and- guess after the reception was over, the couple would head off to do what uh, new married couples do and everyone in the bridal party would stay behind to clean up and part of their duties were to take all of the leftover food from the event punch and appetizers and champagne and mix it together in a chamber pot and then they would all as a as a very loud drunken group make their way into the couple's honeymoon suite oh, no. and make them consume it um i guess it was all done with good intentions nowadays it's used with like champagne and chocolate and it's served in a I like see. a especially yeah. made chamber pot celebratory toilet bowl uh <laughs> And the guests did this to help fuel the couple for what they would need to be doing for the rest of the night, I guess. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, though I can't say that I would be doing much of anything if I had to consume stuff out of a toilet bowl. I would, no. Yeah. I don't think that sounds nice. I need a nap. I saved my favorite one for last. Um, This, once again, takes us to Bulgaria, which is a place that I think I need to be spending some time because they have so much fun. And this wedding day tradition is no different. On the big day, the bride would ask her favorite male family member to take on the role of the Stroshnik, which translates to the frightening one. This guy's role in the wedding now is very important. Um, He's to paint his face dark, hide in the bushes, and wait for people in the wedding party or guests of the wedding to come by and then he jumps out of the bushes and scares them. Not exactly the party fave I would look for. Um, So he's kind of like a a marital Krampus. Yeah. Um, And keep in mind that while he's like, ah, like, ah, jumping out and scaring you, he might also be throwing dried dung at you. (laughs) Now I go back to rice. That would be better. Rice would be better. Rice is better than dung. Dung's not going to kill birds. I'm just saying. Then... That's a sacrifice I'm willing to make. No, no rice. Anyway, it's thought that (laughs) 
This guy, the the Strashnik, is taking the attention of all the onlookers rather than the attention being focused on the bride. And that's a good thing because it's warding off the evil eye. Uh, The bride can slip by before anyone, any evil spirits conflicted with jealousy Uh um, could curse her. I see. So they might curse the Strashnik instead. I don't know. Maybe they would see him get confused and no curse would be lain. I don't know the details, but I know that this is what I want at my next party. <laughs> Maybe when we renew our vows. Oh, that'll be nice. Yeah. That'd have been cool if we'd had one of those guys when we renewed our vows on the cruise earlier this year. Of course, then we would have had to pay for an extra cabin. Or just have a strawschnick in our cabin sleeping in the fold-out bed. Why doesn't Royal Caribbean provide a strawschnick, at least to their crown and anchor members? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's discrimination. I'll write them a letter. I got most of my information from Culture Trip, The Travel, Hello, and, of course, Wikipedia. I find traditions from other lands like these extremely fascinating, and it makes me kind of self-reflect on our own traditions that we just kind of take for granted, but must seem really strange to other people, like tying old old shoes and cans to the back of a car, or, or, or rubbing soap and shaving cream all over their windshield. I've never actually seen anyone do either of those things. I I think it's an urban myth. Um, But even things like, you know, the the garter dance. And I like I find that very weird. And I I don't want you touching me in mm, front of my family. Right. Like, no. Yeah. Especially when I probably don't know you well. And if you were the best man of my husband, you're probably a fraternity brother uh, and drunk right at that moment. So (laughs) we don't want any embarrassing moments in front of the kids. Though uh, we did forego a lot of those traditional things during our wedding and kids. Yeah. So no kids. No kids at our wedding. Yeah. And there was no food, just open bar. We had some snacks. Yeah. We had little. We had those food. little um, tarts with the fruit on top. Those That's were true. good. We had little tarts. And, and color-coded candy. And five-gallon jars of Jack. <laughs> it was the best party ever. It was fun. Everybody said the same thing. <laughs> you know, I was surprised that there wasn't a, more food, but hello, open bar. <laughs> Anyway, we appreciate you hanging out with us here at the Box of Oddities, and we invite you to hang out with us on our other podcast, The Shallow End, shallowendpodcast.com. It's a little baby, little infant podcast that needs to be nurtured. Yeah, so go and love it, and uh, then we'll stop talking about it. But we can't until you go and subscribe. Its fate is in your hands. (laughs) We'll see you next time, freaks. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Henceforth, the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast Copyright 2022 All rights reserved Hold on, I can hear Haggis whining. I'm coming!
Hello everyone, it's here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.